You're making one right decision today. You're listening to Handcuffs and Sage. Three badass moms bringing you all the true crime and paranormal your heart desires. I'm Red. I'm Timo. I'm Dre. And don't let your kids listen. Seriously, just don't. Hey, it's Handcuffs and Sage. Woo-hoo. Hey, hey. This is Red. Hey, this is Timo. Hey, this is Dre. What's up, guys? What's oh, up? My goodness. You know what I was <laughs> thinking about? Are you guys decorated for Thanksgiving or Christmas in your houses? That's what I want to know. Mm, I, I'm in, you know, I'm crafting some crafting Christmas, but I'm up for Thanksgiving. Mm, so I, like I have that. a lot of Christmas around and it looks ridiculous. <laughs> no, not ridiculous. Fantastic. What about it's just you? funny. Well, I don't decorate really. My mom is the one that just loves to decorate. And with my mom's issues right now, I don't think she really remembers that she has stuff to decorate. So I'm not going to decorate for Thanksgiving. That's just not my jam. I don't, eh. but I will do Christmas. So um, I always do my, the tree is my thing. And then every little knickknacky and everything else like back in the day, we changed like the toilet paper roll and the towel rolls and this <laughs> and that, you know, everything that was, ever, you know, salt and pepper shakers, the mugs, the glasses, the dishes, everything mm-hmm. was Christmas. But we got rid of a lot of that stuff because I'm like, we ain't got no room for that, girlfriend. We live, we're going from a big house to a little itty bitty condo. We don't have room for that. So we got rid of a lot of stuff. But um, my condo's teeny tiny. I have one of those like pencil thin, skinny tall Christmas trees, and that's our Christmas tree because mm-hmm. that's all I can fit. And it's a fakie and whatever, but you know, I decorate it all nice. So I'll, I'll do that for Christmas. Uh, I have to because with it, all the shit that's happening in the world, I, I need to have something, you know, to bring joy. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, yes, absolutely. A lot, a lot of people are decorating for Christmas as we speak, like right yes. now. They like yeah. have everybody, everybody that I know has like something going on. So yes. I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't feel so bad, but I'm decorating so like so much for Thanksgiving that I don't even miss Christmas yet. You know, like, I don't feel like I need it. I, I'm like one of those rare people this year. That's super going all out. You guys are going to be like blown away when I show you what I'm doing. Ooh. So it's going to be like, it's going to be like Christmas sweat, you know, and then Christmas is going to come the day after Thanksgiving and like, bam, I'm going to go from orange to red. Bam. I love it. Well, that's so our Dre, plan. That's our you, plan. You see right there? Yeah. Oh, so I finally, I finally hung it up. Dre made this thing for when we did our little event last month and it's a, a high hope sign. And I, I love I'm it. still going to say I stole it from Dre, but Dre actually gave it to yeah. me, but I, I hung it up you. finally. And I'm just so in love with it. Cause I have bright red walls and this is my bedroom y'all, not my home, but uh, it's so for perfect. all your naughty, against, naughty yeah. things you do in that red room. <laughs> yeah. That's naughty right. Girl, that's right. Hey. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like I am being stuck doing Thanksgiving like all out this year because our family usually gets our whole family usually gets together right everybody oh. comes from their different states and we go to my dad's house it's like my favorite time I get to see all my sisters and nieces mm-hmm. and nephews and love on them and that's not happening this year so we're doing Thanksgiving at our house so it's totally decked out Thanksgiving style and I'm really trying to like 
be in the spirit of Thanksgiving. I have like this thing hanging above that every day I write on a leaf, like things I'm thankful for and I hang it up. You know, I'm trying to get into the spirit of that. You know, I'm not going to let 2020 fuck with me that much. But I see everyone decorating for Christmas. So I can't Mm -hmm. wait. I think it's just like a mental, yeah, it's like mental healing (laughs) kind of thing. Like, I'm a small humbug when it comes to Christmas, y'all. I just, I I don't know. I just don't dig it. And, but I'm going to dig it this year because I have to, to be like mentally stable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I'll be Krampus this year. I was keeping in the spirit of November and Thanksgiving and a true crime story. And this one is so crazy. And I'm really excited to share it with you guys it's one that I um, haven't heard about and I don't hear a lot of people talking about so I'm kind of happy to to share this person's life with you guys and so the true crime story I'm gonna do today is about Ashley Scott have you guys heard about Ashley Scott no a lot of Mm -hmm. people haven't heard about her and she's like this amazing person so I'm glad I get to tell her story but of course it is a thanksgiving murder Murder. yeah my son always comes up to me like when he knows we're we're gonna record he's like are you doing conspiracy theories or murder (laughs) (laughs) i I love him i love him you know he's (laughs) taking french so when i uh text him now he answers me in French and I'm like excellent I don't know French rude <laughs> excellent <laughs> yes. I love him even more yeah, now excellent oh okay let's do it you guys buckle up buckle up I'm really gonna try to hit a lot of things about this story and really share with you um about Ashley and, and how absolutely amazing she was seriously so Ashley Scott was a creative writing teacher, and she worked at Bolton High School in Arlington, Tennessee. And this is about 30 miles from Memphis, where she lived with her husband, Jeffrey Scott. Now, Memphis is such a unique place to go visit. If you, I don't know, have you guys ever been to Memphis? No. I think I just drove through. Okay, so when we we went to Prime Pod. (laughs) That's like one of my fave songs. (laughs) <laughs> what was that keep going share i was trying to do my clap. share i was trying to do my share impression it didn't go you know over very well so no i think you killed it so <laughs> and you know the when we went to and everything so i just don't want us to get in trouble so you don't own the rights to this song <laughs> no no, no. You, guys, you guys know i i went to graceland right in Memphis. What? Yes. Yeah. Graceland. It was oh amazing. So ever since my husband and I got together, Elvis has always been such a huge part of our lives. Like huge. I joke that I really wanted one of those stupid Vegas weddings where Elvis like married you. Yes, I did he, too, girl. He kind of refused. And I was like, whatever. Okay, fine, fine. You can have this your normal is why stuff. I love you, Jay. <laughs> Me yeah. and you. We could do Valinols in Vegas together. How about that? Uh, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I made sure I made sure they played like one of his songs during the the wedding thing, and he looked at me and I was like, "Hee hee." It's Elvis. <laughs> it was great. We went to the Heartbreak Hotel. We stayed there, and then we ate. Oh. We took a pink Cadillac to this 
restaurant <laughs> and had catfish out of the river that was caught yes. in the morning. It was so yeah. good. Yeah. And you made we the memory. The whole, yeah. Then we went to Graceland. It was awesome. I nice. have so many pictures. Yeah, that would oh, be yeah, on my bucket. I want to do yeah. like the haunted tour at Memphis, Graceland though. Yeah. It, I dig everything about that. Yeah, Memphis, of course, known for music and it's known for mm -hmm. the civil rights movement, right? It's it's really an amazing place. So when we went to Nashville for CrimeCon, I had no idea, but they really like have like this rivalry Memphis and Nashville about mm -hmm. music and who has the better music going on. I just thought that was really interesting. And they really talk shit about like whose barbecue is better. Oh, you want that Memphis barbecue? <laughs> you know what I mean? It was really interesting. Very interesting. That'd be a, a good way to get people to cook for you. Well, let me try it. I don't know. Let me... <laughs> and now I need to try barbecue. I'll come from to your areas. house and then I'll go to theirs and then I'll let you know whose was better. Okay. Yes, I dig it. Um, so they lived in Memphis, but she worked a little bit away from Memphis. Okay. So her husband, Jeff, worked at his father's tech firm. And they were, uh, you know, married and starting their life off together. Ashley was born November 4th, 1978. And her parents were Maya and Dennis Youngblood. What a fantastic last name. Yes. OMG. Like, I heard that and I had to, like, go back. Youngblood, that's awesome last name. But like, were vampires? Oh, my gosh. But her parents actually ended up getting a divorce and Maya remarried uh, Jimmy Wayne Pittman. And he actually later adopts Ashley, but all, all three are in her life. She has an amazing childhood, right? She's this really happy kid with lots of people that love her. And it seems like her childhood is just on the mark, right? She's just a, a really great kid, really smart. Ashley was this gorgeous girl she was tan and blonde you know everything I wanted to be when I was younger and you know everyone really liked her she was very outgoing and she graduated from Parkway High School in 1996 okay mm -hmm. so Ashley and Jeffrey met and fell in love at Wichita Wichita Baptist University Okay, so they're there for an education and then they start just getting it on. So Ashley graduates in 2000 with her teaching degree, which is awesome. I bow down to all teachers. Uh, the couple seems really happy and then they move to Cordova, Tennessee. And all of a sudden, Ashley gets very disconnected from her family and friends, okay? All of a sudden, and there's no fight or anything like that. They let, later talk about it, like nothing bad happened. It was just slowly but surely, she just, you know, wasn't able to call them, couldn't see them, right? So those are red flags. We've talked about this before. So she's mm -hmm. slowly disconnected from family and friends. And then none of them are invited to her wedding, which wow. just kills my mom heart, right? Yeah. Really sad. Oh, it's your wedding. Awful. So 
Jeffrey obviously is isolating her from friends and family. And it said that he's very open about his dislike for all of them, right? He'll just talk shit about them all day, every day. He's a dick. And if anyone's been a McFuckface that I've talked about on this podcast, he is a McFuckface. And Mm. we'll get into all the McFuckery that he does, okay? He's very controlling with her. In 2003, Ashley um, becomes a student teacher at Polarville High School, and she's uh, working under Elizabeth Sisman. And so, you know, as a student teacher, that you are an assistant to a teacher in the classroom, right? They're basically teaching you how to be a teacher. She becomes like very close with Elizabeth, and Elizabeth talks about how she instantly liked Ashley, how the students loved Ashley, how she had this amazing way of just memorizing and knowing quotes from famous authors, but then in the same beat could start singing all the lyrics like Black Eyed Peas songs, right? Mm -hmm. So super cool chick. Everyone likes her. Um, Ashley ends up calling Elizabeth her Yoda and Elizabeth will call her Luke Skywalker. So they have this really nice working friendship relationship, which is really sweet to hear about. Ashley once told Elizabeth that when she's teaching, she felt like she was exactly doing what she was meant to do in life. Hmm. And I thought that what an amazing feeling to have, like, this Hmm. is it. This is what I'm supposed Hmm. to do. And I am doing it. So she was meant to be a teacher and she was a really, really good teacher. Um, one of Ashley's friends, Laura, Lori Mitchum said that they had been friends since the fifth grade and was one of the few friends that Ashley was allowed to have contact with still after she was with Jeff and married to Jeff. And it's really sad that her world really got isolated. And I think that really affected her later on. We'll talk about all of that. But Lori seems quite lovely and says wonderful things about Ashley. Um, she said, Ashley loved people. She made friends instantly and was really, really funny. And if, you know, you see the pictures of Ashley, you can find images. She looks like fun. She looks like someone I would totally hang out with and have a good time with. And she really does have like this brightness to her. So she just sounds wonderful. So buckle up. All right, here we go. I'm going to take a sip of my kava tea, right, to keep calm. We're going to keep calm. Everyone drink your kava tea. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So Memphis, Tennessee dispatcher Paula Haygood gets a call from Jeffrey Scott. Um, She alerts her supervisor. She thinks that this could be a possible homicide. But she says that on the phone, Jeffrey's really calm. And he just says his wife is unconscious, but still breathing. But she said he was very calm. She says that she hears in the background a man speaking saying, no, she's not breathing. I think she's dead. (gasps) Mm -hmm. Yes. Memphis police officer Sloan Lydell is the first to respond to the scene. Um. Sloan walks in, 
he sees a man giving a woman CPR. And this man is Dr. Robert McGee. And he's a friend of Jeff, Jeffrey Scott's. And he was actually the man that you could hear in the background on that on that call saying, I think she's dead, okay? Um, so Dr. McGee is actually, you know, friends with them. He's with his family at the time he gets a call from Jeff. He's in the car with his family. And this is taking place Thanksgiving day. So he's with his family, it's nearing the end of the day and Jeffrey is calling him. And he says, you know, can you come over, check on Ashley? You know, she's been drinking. I can't get her to, to wake up, you know, uh, very calm, right? No, no alarm going off. And so the doctor, Robert, actually asked, you know, have, have you guys both been drinking? Kind of thinking, you know, this is going to be a situation. So he actually takes his family home and then goes to the Scott back. Mm-hmm. residence. Uh-huh. And something that Jeffrey says is make sure to come alone. Mm. Don't bring anyone. Don't call anyone. That feels okay. alarming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he gets there, obviously insists he calls 911. Uh, she is severely beaten. Mm severely beaten. Um, Jeff was immediately detained when the police officers arrive. He's put in a a police vehicle. He tells uh, Officer Lydell that they just argued about a text message on her phone. It was just an argument and uh, just something on her phone. Very (laughs) calm. Not not upset at all, right? So Officer Lydell, he, you know, tapes off the whole scene. He goes inside. He's looking around, you know, taking things in. Uh, He sees that in the kitchen on the table, he sees, you know, Ashley's phone, her passport, and her purse are all out next to each other, right? Looking like someone's about to leave, right? And then next to that is a printed out email next to a laptop, okay? Uh, in the garage are two cars, his Jeep Wrangler and her Volkswagen Bug are inside. Inside of her car, there's clothes in the car, a bunch of her clothes that are still on the hangers, mm. like thrown mm. into the car, right? Um, on the floor of the garage, there's a pillow and a blanket with some like blood stains on it. Okay, Mm. I know. So he's just taking in the scene and this is what he's seeing. So Carrie Garman, a paramedic with a fire department is one one of the first medical uh, responders to show up, okay? And he sees that this is blunt force trauma to the head. He sees trauma all over the body because they they have to like cut up her clothes, right? See what's going Mm -hmm. on. They're cutting up the clothes and there are bruises everywhere all over her body. Okay, her pupils are dilated and there's bloody vomit coming from her mouth and nose. She has like raccoon eyes. So she's got some bruising. She's got uh, bruising behind the ears. And this just made me like, ugh, like tense up. 
she had cauliflower ear. She had oh, no. no. Oh, that means she, she was taking beat after beat after beat after mm -hmm. beat. That's what boxers yes. Exactly. That's exactly oh, right. No. So, right. We see all these like professional fighters and they get this because that's what they do all day, every day, right? They take beatings mm -hmm. to those ears and you get cauliflower ear. And she oh. had that, you guys. Uh, right? Makes me want to cry. Uh. It, yeah, it makes really me want to cry, this piece of shit. Ugh. A two-print bruise is found on her back. Mm. So he uses a defibrillator to shock her. He tries this four times. He's uh, pumping her full of medication to restart the heart, right? This is not going well. They transport her. Uh, to Baptist Memorial Hospital, okay? There's an ER nurse, Michelle Ann Bow, and she said that when she arrived, she was in critical condition. Uh, Dr. Miguel Rodriguez was an ER doctor. Um, he said, wow, she had bruises all over her body consistent with a severe beating, and there were different shades showing a pattern of abuse, right? So some were healing, some were mm -hmm. new fucking awful, right? He said that there was actually another bruise on her side that looked like the front toe of a boot. So she took oh, a beating. <gasps> she was kicked, yes, Aww. all over her body. She had suffered a massive head trauma and she was uh, brain dead. So there was nothing they could do. Oh, they had to take her off the ventilator and I guess she, she just died like immediately. During the autopsy, they found 50 bruises and contusions all over her body. The cause of death was subdural hematoma to the right side of her brain, oh. causing a massive hemorrhage and swelling, cutting off the oxygen to her body, causing cardiac arrest, which shut down her organs. Okay, so she was hit so hard on her left side that her brain hit the right side of her skull, right? Mm. That that cut off the oxygen, that shut down her organs, right? Mm -hmm. Like awful. Um, they said if she had gotten immediate medical attention, she would have lived, okay? Mm. Uh, Jeff uh, later told someone he didn't, you know, call his friend, Robert McGee, this doctor, for 13 hours <gasps> oh, after no. the, this argument. He keeps Fucker. calling it just a little argument. What a piece of shit. Uh, after their argument, he had her sleep in the garage on the floor with a pillow and a blanket for her to like learn her lesson, you guys. And obviously she just oh. laid there hemorrhaging. Just what a piece hmm. of shit, right? So her friend, uh, Lori, her, her schoolmate, right, said in 2005, Jeff would call her all the time to complain about Ashley, right? He wanted to call her friend and just bitch about her, which is super gross to me. Mm -hmm, he would always mm -hmm. talk about her, like, drinking all the time. She's out of control. 
Um, she's hanging out with this chick, Blair Brown, and she's like this bad influence. Uh, she's always falling down because she's drunk and then getting hurt and not remembering what happened the next day. So part of me is like, okay, is he just saying this to kind of set the stage like her bruises oh, yeah. are from falling, right? This oh, shit, yeah. Right? And we'll hear about Blair Brown later because she is something else, y'all. Uh, so he was always just complaining about Ashley. You know, I used to want to have kids, but I am not going to have kids with her. You know, she's a gross person. Just he's awful, right? Mm-hmm. And Lori was like, hey, Jeff, guess what? I'm Ashley's friend. These calls to me are useless. No matter what you say, (laughs) I'm on Mm -hmm. Ashley's side. And I just love Lori. She was like, I'm not having it. Why are you doing this, right? Not happening, friend. So um, one of the final calls that Jeff made to Lori you know, he said, oh, well, we're in couples therapy now and I won't call you again. Well, thank God. Mm-hmm. I don't think Lori would pick up anymore. She was sick of Jeff. Uh, after this, you know, couples therapy statement, Ashley was actually taking Lori's calls again. Okay. And she was very open and told her about her fucked up ass marriage. All of a sudden she's really sharing with Lori, you know, what's going on. He says that Jeff just calls her names all the freaking time. He loves to call her a whore, that she's a terrible role model. She's not fit for teaching. Um, You know, she just goes on and on about this verbal abuse from Jeff that happens 24 seven, but she does not talk about the physical abuse. Okay. She, Mm -hmm. she, she doesn't talk about these beatings. She last saw Ashley in September of 2006. It was actually for a high school reunion, which is super fun. They, they were like going to get together and do like girl time reunion. Woo! So they got together. They went shopping for the reunion, which is super cute. But Ashley was worried about spending any kind of money. She said, you know, if I spend any money, Jeff would kill her. Can't spend any money, right? Not allowed. Mm-hmm. Lori says Jeff calls her nonstop all weekend long. Just would not stop calling her. On the way, like they're on the way to the reunion. They're ready to have a good time. He calls her. He wants to know exactly what she's wearing and that she has to describe every single thing that she has on to him. (laughs) So this is the type of shit that she's dealing with, which is (laughs) awful, right? Mm -hmm, Awful. mm -hmm. Um, so Lori later on tries to talk to Ashley about, you know, her marriage, you know, what's going on, what can we do here? But Ashley is like, look, I'm here for this class reunion. I want to have fun. I don't want to ruin the trip by talking about Jeff. So let's talk about just positive things, right? So she doesn't want to talk about Jeff on, on the trip. Let's have fun. And that happened two months before her death. The Wednesday before Thanksgiving, right? Everyone is getting ready for Thanksgiving in the normal world, right? We're all making a plan for every goddamn thing we're going to shove in our mouth the next day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And 
poor Ashley is living just a completely different life. They are not consumed with Thanksgiving plans. They have just chaos going. It is just total chaos in their lives. And that Wednesday before Thanksgiving, Ashley actually calls um, her divorce lawyer, her divorce lawyer. Maybe I need more kava, kava tea. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. Do it. So she calls her divorce lawyer, uh, Rachel Fongston. And they had been talking, um, becoming friends for a little over a year at this point. Um, what happened was, is Ashley got Rachel's number from a mutual friend. She was actually calling her to you know, get a name of maybe a criminal lawyer that could help her. She had gotten a DUI and needed help with that case. But then she was talking to Rachel and she realized, oh, she's a, a divorce lawyer, right? So she's mm-hmm. talking to Rachel and she says, um, you know, maybe you could give me some advice for a friend who is being abused. You know, what advice could you give my friend, right? And Rachel says, your friend should leave that relationship immediately, should not be in that relationship. And Rachel said, yeah, I I didn't think she was talking about a friend. I assumed it was about her, right? Mm -hmm. That she didn't tell her at that point. Um, Ashley had gotten a DUI in August of 2005, which really sucks. Um, She had been at a bar with Jeff. They were drinking. And then out of nowhere, Jeff becomes a McFuck face and he is calling her a whore that she dresses like a whore, you know, and tell her just to fucking leave. So she gets in her car, she Aww. drives away, she gets pulled over and she gets this, this DUI. Okay. Rachel saw, um, it saw her in October, 2005. She said that Ashley had this huge lump on the side of her head. And she asked her, uh, you know, that friend you were talking about, was that actually you, right? Mm-hmm. And Ashley was like, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to talk about this. And Rachel said, look, if I'm your attorney, then we have that attorney client privilege, right? And I can't mm-hmm. share anything you say to me, right? You can tell me anything. I, I can't tell anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, if you retain me as your lawyer. And Ashley said, I don't have any money to Give retain me a dollar. you. I love that. <laughs> I love that when that happens. Yeah. Any amount of money so, retains an attorney. So yeah, just give me a penny. Right, yeah. I'm yours. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's exactly what Rachel said. She said $1 would be enough to retain her. And so Ashley pulled out four quarters. That mm-hmm. is crazy. Ugh. I'm going to cry. I can't handle this. Right? I know. Yes. And Rachel said, are you the friend? And Ashley said, yes, I'm the friend. I'm in the the abused relationship. And so Rachel says, you need to leave Jeff immediately. And Mm -hmm. here's some options, you know, things you can do when you leave him. And Mm -hmm. Ashley told her, I can't leave him. I'm not going to leave him. He will kill me. He will kill me if I leave and that he has been hitting her since college. So this has been going on for eight years. Mm. Okay. So So because of the isolation and control, 
Ashley really had to be sneaky with meeting with Rachel. So they always had to meet in person and Ashley would call her like from pay phones or maybe different businesses because Jeff Mm -hmm. would check her cell phone constantly for any weird numbers, right? He's Mm -hmm. in her phone, whatever. So Ashley once called her from a tanning salon and they actually met there at the, at the tanning salon. Rachel said she walked up and Ashley was there with a bandage all over her chin that Jeff had, you know, knocked her down, kicked her. And as she was being knocked down, she hit a piece of furniture that just like busted open her chin. Okay. Yeah. I mean, she's full on abused completely, Mm -hmm. 100%. So remember the teacher that she was assisting when she was first a student teacher, Elizabeth, she later testifies at trial that she saw black eyes and bruises on her all the time. Just always had black eyes and bruises. Um, In September of 2006, she met with her at Bolton High School. Um, She said that she was telling Elizabeth a story that, you know, she had gone to this class reunion with her friend, but when she got back from the class reunion, like she shows up at home and Jeff tells her that he had, a, you know, a prostitute over at the house and starts going through all of Ashley's things in her suitcase from her trip. He's screaming at her, you know, calling her names, calling her a whore, right? He's just out of control, right? And Ashley says, well, maybe if I dress like a whore, you wouldn't have a prostitute in the house, right? (laughs) So that's what she says back to him. Mm. And he knocks her down. He puts his foot on her throat and she's just begging him to stop. She says, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And he says, I don't want you to breathe. Oh, no. How fucking terrifying is that? That is Mm. terrifying. That's terrifying. Mm. Uh, You know, he would call her names all the time. And Ashley said that she was depressed. She, She did have a drinking problem. Okay. She said she couldn't go a day without drinking. And a lot of times she doesn't even remember going to bed. Okay, so she's obviously depressed. She's dealing with her depression with alcohol. And she's depressed because she's in this really abusive relationship. And if you feel like if you leave, you're going to be killed, that weighs Mm -hmm. on somebody, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Weighs on you. So this guy, Paul Dooley, he's from Bolton High School. He's actually the department chair. And he also calls himself a mentor and friend to Ashley. He says he knew about the DUI um, and she had actually opened up to him about the verbal abuse that was happening. And this happened like fall 2005 that she like kind of, you know, shared with him about verbal abuse. But again, doesn't mention the physical abuse. And she kind of does this with a lot of people. Like she opens up a little bit because she's not telling everybody exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know, she's, he says that she starts missing a lot of work. And when she comes 
back from being gone, she's just covered in bruises. She's just, it's a mess. Students uh, later testified that they saw all of this too, which is really sad that they said that she would wear long sleeve shirts, even when it was really hot outside. And y'all, it gets hot in Memphis and mm-hmm. she's wearing long sleeve shirts. She, she was trying to cover up where the bruises were. They said that she would like try to cake on makeup sometimes, but you could still see the bruises, even though she tried mm-hmm. to like hide it with makeup. And they would sometimes ask her about bruises. They said Ashley would laugh it off and say, oh, I walked into a cabinet. Oh, mm-hmm. right. It's so sad because she just minimizes and minimizes what's happening to her, right? Mm-hmm. And it really does seem through all of this that she's like in deep denial about the situation. Anytime Jeff does something bad, she does not call the police. And when she shares, she doesn't share everything with everybody, right? She's scared. Mm-hmm. She, yeah. I mean, she's scared. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul said he was very, very concerned about Ashley that in mid 2006, this had gotten to like a heightened point. He was kind of freaking out at like three in the morning in July, he gets a call from Ashley. She's crying. She says, you know, Jeff and her had had a fight that Jeff had hit her and strangled her. So this is a crazy fact, you guys, I'm going to lay on you. When somebody is in an abusive relationship and the abuser strangles that person, that person is 10 times more likely to be killed by that abuser if there's been that strangulation in in the relationship. Mm, Wow. Yes. So this is really bad, really bad. So he's beating her and he's strangling her. Red flags all over the place. Paul, you know, it's it's just, I'm sorry. You know, what's so sad about this is that she has friends around her, but she's not able to say anything Yeah, because she's so afraid. And it just makes me so sad because I feel like if any of my friends were dealing with something like this, I would want to know, and I would want to help them and freaking send them to Canada or something, you know, let's go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just white van it all the way. But you know what? Mm-hmm. It's that batter wife syndrome. And I, know. I, I, not personally, but I was involved in some type of situation like this. And we all knew it was happening. And we told the person and um, mm-hmm. it didn't phase her. She just kept on yeah. dealing with it. Like, even when we it do It becomes know, their new normal. Mm-hmm. Change is scary. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. Um, you know, Paul said that he, he said to Ashley, you need to leave him right now, right? You need to call the police. She said, I will not call the police. So again, she should have called the police. She was too scared. So she didn't. He says that she was once this really outgoing, vivacious, you know, young person just starting off in their career as a teacher And now she's despondent, she's depressed, 
right? She's just like a completely different person. Mm-hmm. Um, so Rachel, her divorce attorney, later testifies at trial that she had called her uh, later in the day on November 22nd. So this is a day before Thanksgiving and a day before her murder. Ashley told Rachel, I have the filing fee for the divorce. Wow. Mm. Big step, right? Mm -hmm. Big step. Rachel told her, I'm in Nashville, so I can't get that for you, right? She's probably with family for Thanksgiving. She's in Nashville. But she tells Ashley, but you should go now. You you should leave him right now. Mm -hmm. And Ashley says, well, I need to go get my things from the house. And then she asks Rachel, should she tell Jeff that she's leaving? And Rachel said, absolutely not, right? Do Mm -hmm. not tell him, right? Get, Get away. That's what we need to do right now. And Ashley is like, I feel like I owe him an explanation. (gasps) And that made me so sick to my stomach. Right. That she felt like she owed him anything. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm sure he made her feel like everything was her fault. And to me, if she, she, still thinks that she owes him anything is a sad state of affairs because Mm -hmm. he has been beating her for years and years and strangling her. Um, you know, and like I had mentioned before, right. Her clothes were found on hangers in her car. Her passport was out. Right. So it looked like she was grabbing her stuff, right. To go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Jeff cheated on her. Of course, Jeff cheated on her. Of course he did. Uh, But he always complained to everybody that she was a whore and cheated on her constantly with multiple lovers, right? He would always say this. And there was one proven in court of infidelity on Ashley's part, okay? Mm -hmm. But Jeff had had a very long affair with somebody during the marriage, of course, to Blair Brown. Well, her Mm. full name is Virginia Blair Brown. Remember, remember when Jeff was telling her friend Lori that she was hanging out with a bad influence, Blair Mm -hmm. Brown? That's this hoe. That's the one he'd be having a long ass affair with. The shittiness of this all, right? So he has this long affair with Blair. So Blair actually worked with Jeff at his father's company. She had started back in uh, March of 2000. And this was before they got married. But she later testified that she had an on again and off again sexual relationship with Jeff from December 2002 till like mid 2005. And then after having this long affair, hold on to your butts here, becomes very good friends with Ashley. (laughs) What a bitch. What? So I'm gonna take a sip of kava tea over here. Uh, Wusa. (laughs) 
can't even believe this shit. Mm-mm. So she becomes besties with Ashley, right? And she says that Jeff had told Ashley about the affair. I don't know if Jeff actually told. I, I, I don't know yeah. if that. I, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that. He was like, hey, babe, just letting you know, totally mm-hmm. fucked this chick for three years. You know, you can be friends. Totally cool. Yeah. No. Per. Well, right? I don't know. I mean, he's controlling. He's a fucking prick. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. The the fuck, like, fucked upness of this, really. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. Um, so Ashley and Blair are friends, and I guess Ashley would go over to Blair's house after like really bad fights with Jeff. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and on one occasion she saw Jeff assault Ashley. So Ashley had come over after a really bad fight to get away. Jeff comes over to Blair's house. He busts inside the house. And Ashley is in the back room, like, laying on the bed. He comes into the room out of nowhere and punches her three times in the back. Hard. Hard. And Blair says that she's, like, cooling Jeff off of Ashley and kicks him out out of her house. You're gone, right? Mm -hmm. And she goes, hey girl, holy fuck, you need to call the police. And guess what Ashley said? No. I'm not calling the police. She Mm -hmm. won't call the police on this fucker. It makes me so mad. He just does whatever he wants. Oh, Mm -hmm. I hate this guy so much. So this is a really sad story, you guys. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. We're going to get through this part together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jeff, Jeff wants hurt Ashley's dog. Mm-hmm. So apparently they were in Jeff's uh, Jeep. So Jeff is driving. Ashley's in the front seat and she's holding the dog. And they were maybe fighting. He grabs the dog and he throws the dog out onto the road as they're driving. Fuck kid. Little fucker. So Ashley calls Blair. She's hysterical. Blair goes and meets them at the vet's office. So he throws the dog. They take the dog to the vet because Ashley loves the dog. Blair shows up. The dog, you know, is really injured and takes weeks to recover from this bullshit. The mm-hmm. dog lives, so that's good. But, you know, <laughs> I didn't know this, and I, I'm surprised I haven't heard this before, but I guess that's an, another thing that abusers do is they will take someone's beloved pet and do terrible things to their pet as a way to control a person yep and that ah what the fuck they'll almost Uh, to the point will be like okay i'll do whatever you want but don't hurt my dog yes you better not hurt my dog you know uh, yes buffalo buffalo bill yeah we know honey that's right yes you would oh my god I just so that's so fucked up that is so fucked up and I guess you know 
Ashley had talked about the dog getting hurt, right? And mm-hmm. one of the students at trial said that Ashley just said, oh, no, the dog had an accident. She wasn't like, oh, mm-hmm. Jeff's a piece of shit and threw my dog out the window, right? Of course not. <sighs> it, uh, all, all of this is really sad. Um, so Blair is telling this story at the trial where her and Ashley are out, right? They're at a bar, they're drinking, and they meet this guy named Michael Lowe. And Ashley and Michael, like, have an affair. And Hmm. Blair is claiming that this, you know, affair went on for, like, a year. And it was, like, also there was no proof of that, that this was, like, a long-standing affair or anything like that. Um, One time, Michael and Ashley, I guess, went over to Blair's house to have some mommy-daddy time. Mm -hmm. And Blair, you know, Ashley's friend, calls Jeff to tell him. (gasps) Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So Blair's on the stand and she must know she sounds like an awful person. Right. Yeah. What a great fucking friend. And she's like, you know, trying to defend herself. Oh, well, you know, at the time I felt like Ashley was using me, you know, using my place. And I felt frustrated. Uh, Blair, didn't you have sex with her husband for three years? For three years. How about bitch. you check yourself? <laughs> you check yourself and you should always be buying the drinks whenever y'all go out. Okay, Blair? <laughs> She's shitty. So... Michael Lowe is called to testify at the trial. I want to stop here and say that, of course, at this trial, they are trying to make the victim look bad, right? The defense attorney goes hard on Ashley. You know, the woman that was beaten for years and then killed on Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. Day? Yeah, that's what I hate about all this. And you know, her family and friends are at this Mm. trial hearing it. It's disgusting to me. Mm. So of course, Michael Lowe is called to testify. And he, you know, he's actually minimizing the relationship also. Like it wasn't this like long, intense love affair, whatever the fuck Blair bitch ass says that they had sex four times, right? In three years from the time that they had like met Blair had said this thing had been going on for a year. It was like this, whatever. Michael's Mm. like, look, we had sex like four times and this happened like shortly before the murder. Okay. So it wasn't like what Blair was saying. The defense attorney, Leslie Ballin, obviously I hate Leslie, but her last name's Ballin and that is pretty Ballin. <laughs> she actually got a subpoena. She subpoenaed the AT&T technician, you know, for to get Ashley's cell phone records to prove this affair was more serious than Michael is saying. But back, you know, in 2006, they didn't have the technology to get full transcripts of texts like they can do today right Mm -hmm. you know what they could get was like what phone numbers who was texting who right Mm -hmm. you know was a picture sent but they can't see the picture okay that's all they could get so Mm -hmm. they could see that you know from 
October 29th, 2006 to November 22nd, 2006. So that's about a month, which was like right before her murder. That's when Ashley and Michael were having these texts back and forth. Mm -hmm. And that five images were sent on November 22nd. And they were saying that they were like graphic pictures that were sent. Ashley was trying mm-hmm. to keep it hot with Michael and she was sending him pictures. That's right. That's what they're saying. You know, at the trial for her murder. Right. I hate that. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently they think that this is what that small argument was about that Jeff said they had, you know, that little oh. argument right. was him finding these images on her phone that he checked nonstop little argument yeah so ashley's gynecologist tested at uh, testified at the trial that she saw ashley on november 14th of 2006 so what is that like a week a week mm-hmm. about yeah a little over a week yeah. before mm-hmm. her her murder Um, Ashley was going on medication to increase ovulation because they were going to have a baby. Oh, God. The defense attorney, Leslie Ballin, she calls uh, realtor Lisa Harris, and she testifies that Jeffrey and Ashley had just bought a new home and had signed the contract for that new home on November 14th, the same day she saw the gynecologist about getting on medication to help her get pregnant, okay? Mm. I feel like maybe Jeff is promising her new life, right? I'll be good, let's get a house, now let's have a baby, I'll be good. We all know that in abusive relationships, they do this, right? I'll be good, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, look, I can, do all these change. things. I'll change. Right. right. Um, Blair, her, her really good friend, Blair, saw her on November 22nd, the day before the murder. Um, Ashley had taken Blair to go see the new house. She was super excited about it. They went to lunch. They had some drinks. Um, Blair said she was super just happy about the house. And the possibility of them having a baby. But then, you know, defense is like, yeah, but she's also at the same time texting Michael. Right. And it's like, look, this chick is in an abusive relationship. And obviously, it fucks up your thinking. She Mm. has to know that relationship is bad. Right. She has to know it's toxic and bad. So even though these things she can say she's excited about. Her subconscious knows it's never going to change and it's bad. And maybe she could have this thing on the side, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe that's the light at the end of her tunnel, right? This is not a regular situation. Um, So they said that the defense attorney, Leslie, laid groundwork for this to be second degree murder that poor Jeff had bought her a house and, you know, they were going to have a baby and um, Ashley was 
cheating on him and oh poor Jeff he just couldn't take the abuse from Ashley anymore you know his heart hurt and he snapped so that's what his attorney was saying of course right Mm -hmm. so prosecutor Karen Cook tried to keep Michael Lowe off the stand right she didn't want Michael to testify make Ashley look bad and she also wanted this printed email that was found at the scene, you know, out of court. It was an email to her biological father, David Youngblood, right? They all had a good relationship still. So she had had this email with her father, David, and it said, you know, dad, thank you for the check you sent. You know, we were having some financial issues and, you know, I have these expenses and, you know, he's trying to teach her how to, like, maybe budget her money a little bit in this email thread, right? And she says in this email, Jeff would be mad if I asked for money. I'd rather run up a bill than ask him for any money. Please don't think less of me. And <laughs> it's really sad because they're trying to make it look like she's bad with money, Right. And that Mm -hmm. Jeff obviously found this email, of course. But really, one of the things he did was he was really controlling with the finances. Remember, he wouldn't give her money. She couldn't spend Mm -hmm. money. So, you know, maybe this was a way for her to get money. Maybe that was the way she was going to pay for that divorce fee. Remember that filing Mm -hmm. fee? Right. I, I think that's probably what it was. But of course, she's making it look like, oh, dumb me. I'm so bad with money. Right. It, it's just fucking sad to me. Um, so, you know, we're talking about things that abusers do. So financial control, they mm-hmm. maintain dominance this way. She's keeping the abuse a secret and, and she takes the blame a lot. Right. It's my fault, done me, right? So Michael and Ashley didn't actually have sex until like a month before the murder. And it seems like she just is very conflicted with her marriage and maybe with Michael and, you know, all, all these mm-hmm. things going on. Um, so this is what they think happened, okay? They think that... Ashley went to lunch with Blair, right? They had a nice time. She comes home. Maybe her and Jeff are drinking, right? Because she was drinking at lunch. Maybe they continue to drink. Maybe he showed her the email he found because he was, of course, going through her laptop. Mm-hmm. Maybe he then said, let me see your phone. So it's escalating. Then he finds the images that she sent Michael, right? So then mm-hmm. maybe he starts beating her and they said that this beating was terrible that her shoes were found in two different places in the house wow it, it, that it, it was just a freaking mess right um he wants to say that you know that this was just a small argument but that it got out of control right so jeff says that this was just an argument that got out of hand right that she went and slept in the garage around 1 a.m. Who the fuck sleeps in a garage, by the way, homie? At 
9 a.m. He went to, you know, go check on her. He puts her in front of the fireplace. And around noon, he takes her to the bed. He tries to lift her on top of the bed, but for some reason can't lift her on top of the bed because he's a weak ass bitch. And he leaves her on the floor. And that is where she is found later by Dr. Robert McGee, his friend that shows up to help. Um, Dr. Robert McGee says that when he got to the house six hours later, right, after all of this supposedly happened, when he got there that her hands were like, her hands and feet were like this bluish color, like Mm -mm. gross looking, right? And Jeff was saying that he didn't know that she was hurt. Yeah. Oh, okay. my God. Fifth, over 50 contusions and bruises, right? But he didn't know. Right. So what they think mm. happened, right, is that he knew she was fucked up, right? He mm-hmm. knew that he beat her and it was bad and that he left her in the garage, right, until morning time. That he put that pillow and blanket there to look like she had maybe slept there on her own accord they think that jeff waited for her to stop breathing maybe to call the doctor right dr robert mcgee later says you know when he calls me it was like a totally casual call he was like how you doing did you Mm. have a nice thanksgiving can you stop by to check on Ashley she had a little bit too much to drink right and that he did not seem concerned what the fuck right Mm, right the 911 call sounds like somebody said it sounds like he's ordering breakfast that he's totally calm cold disconnected doesn't Mm. give a fuck on the 911 call right One of the officers said that after she's taken to the hospital and remember he was detained and taken to the police station because he was charged with, you know, first degree later Mm -hmm. uh, murder. He only said one thing while he was there. And the one thing this piece of shit said was who won the football game. (laughs) Fuck. Oh my God. Holy (sighs) fuck my life, dude. This motherfucker i just want to claw his fucking face off mm-hmm. um so at the trial here we go they're trying to say defense is trying to say that she had something called alcoholic ketoacidosis which caused seizures and that she fell down a couple times and mm. that's how she got her bruises two oh. times Right. But y'all remember everyone (laughs) saying she was covered in bruises, you know, all Mm -hmm. the fucking time. I can understand, like, if she's the serious drinker, maybe that happening before, Mm -hmm. which is really sad. Maybe that did happen. But that does not account for all the other times. And she fell on she fell on a shoe print and she fell on a boot. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's. All Ashley's fault. Yeah. uh All her fault. Okay, you guys. Mm -hmm. They had a Dr. O'Brien Clary Smith testify that this could be a possibility that this fucking happened. 
Uh, yeah, no, this was completely shot down with the rebuttal of an expert testimony by Dr. Lisa Fonte. She is the assistant medical examiner, Shelby County. And she listed in graphic detail of the over 50 bruises over her body and the blunt force trauma to her head. So it, let's say she had a seizure and she fell down. Okay. She hits mm -hmm. her head and let's say she hits an elbow. That's not 50 bruises. No, that's not old and new bruises. Okay. Mm -hmm. This, She's totally backed up by medical examiner Karen Chancellor, who goes over the autopsy photos with the jury. Oh, my God. Right. Fucking sad. And she says, look, this isn't from two falls. We can all see this isn't from two fucking falls from alcoholic ketoacidosis or whatever the fuck. OK. Right. Yeah. This was a vicious beating. So they have the trial few hours go by, the verdict comes back, and he is found guilty of second degree murder. Oh, my God. So basically, defense won, right? That's mm -hmm. really what they were yeah. going for. That yeah. he just snapped. That he had had enough, you guys, right? So the judge, which is so fucking badass, criticizes and talks shit to the jury about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. He says sometime in the morning, he could have called for help and he didn't. Yep. He had committed an atrocity, knew his wife was still breathing and did nothing. In my opinion, this is proof of murder in the first degree. I just think that the jury gave Mr. Scott an unbelievable break. This was a violent and atrocious crime. That's what the judge said to the jury. Like, you motherfuckers. Absolutely. Second oh degree God. murder after seeing all of that. Oh, uh, God. I feel so fucking bad for her family. Oh, God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Jeffrey Scott gets 25 years without the possibility of parole. So that is fucking fantastic, right? Fuck you. Mick fuck face Jeffrey Scott, right? Mm-hmm. But... A lot of like amazing things like happened after this. So the spring of the next year at prom, and I'm not going to cry. They decided to do a pink theme for Ashley. It was her favorite color. Hmm. So at prom, everyone wore pink dresses, pink tuxedos, Aww. pink shoes, all for their teacher that they loved. Then the department chair, remember Paul Dooley that testified he organizes a 5K every year in October for Ashley and all the money and the proceeds goes to abused women's services. Fucking amazing. Yeah, October Those is are... domestic violence month. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. So just remember that there was a lot of these red flags, right? He controlled mm -hmm. her money. He isolated her. He criticized her. He called her names. He abused her dog. And these are all things that are used by abusers. So if you see these things happening, be there for your friends, right? If things, mm -hmm. things are happening to you, I hope that you can make that police report. And if you do decide to leave, right, that is the most dangerous time. 
for a woman when she leaves an abusive relationship that you get somewhere safe and they don't know where you are. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. There's services for this, right. We've shared that phone number before. Um, If you're in an abusive relationship um, and need help to get out. I, I think Ashley's amazing. I think her family and friends just absolutely loved her and it's proof, you know, that they continue to do things, you know, in memory of her. And I hate that at trial, it was made to seem like any of this was her fault because none of this was her fault. Jeff's a McFit fuckface level 10, like seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, that's my story of Ashley Scott, you guys. Where is this fucker now? Is he, he's still in jail, I suppose, right? And then right. In, in 25 years, he can get released. I hope he's right. getting like beat up in fucking jail every day. I mean, right? I hope so. Sure. Yeah. We can all hope so. Yeah. Just all sorts of bad, nasty things coming your way, Jeffrey Scott. It's not in this lifetime and the next. I hate this guy, but I love I love her family and friends that do these things and still in memory of her. I think that's really fantastic and a testament to her really. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh my goodness. You guys, I'm glad I had the Kava tea to, to get me through. Thanks Kava. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Not sponsored. Buckle up. Hey, do you, uh, you want to hear a little bit of Skinwalker Ranch? Yes. I'm continuing on with, skinwalker rain <laughs> so we ended with uh travis and they had just dropped off all the cows on the ranch and he had mentioned that he couldn't wait to see how the cows reacted to the ranch but also how the ranch is going to react mm-hmm. to the cows because now it's kind of like flashback like now all the cows are back so what's going to happen now is the same shit going to happen again so this happens mm-hmm. the next day now, and uh, Travis is stoked because he got all his rocket equipment. Uh, they're going to do the same experiment, like what they did with the weather balloon. But now what they're going to do is they're going to shoot a rocket up with all the equipment, and hopefully they can get to that mile point that they need to get to and record what they need to get to. So he gets out of the car. This cute little girl gets out of the car with him, and he's like, I want you guys to meet Caitlin Russell. She she's a graduate from University of Alabama. She's my intern. Um, she's a rocket builder extraordinaire, and she has studied aerospace engineering and rocketry. So this girl is like the rocket girl. So this is why he Marty Cats on yeah, and she's just like this plain Jane looking cutie pie. But you know she can build these rockets like nobody's business. So hey, she's a rocket badass. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. So they have the table set, they're building up, you know, they're building all the rockets, they're hooking up all the equipment. So like kind of what they do is they, they put it in like a tube, they put all the equipment in the tube and then the rockets built all around it. So as they're doing this, Jim, Jim Sagala, uh, he's like, you guys look over there and all the cows have now migrated like way over to where they are. And they're just like all huddled together in this one spot. And they're like, this is so weird. And then like, they kind of make jokes. Yeah, they want to see the rocket launch too. La, 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 la. Mm. But it's like really weird. It's like they they sense something is, is happening. Something's going to happen. So they uh, 
first launch. They're going to do the first launch and it doesn't go very well. It shoots up, it goes, they're excited, right? And then it doesn't hit that mile point and it, it flips back around. So it doesn't meet its, um, I guess it has to go certain, certain, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It has to go, you know, certain height for it then to come down for the parachute to release. So it just falls to earth with no, uh, okay. no parachute. So they're like, he's like, heads up, people heads up. And they, they go find the rocket and it's pretty much, you know, done. How much was the rocket? I, I want know. to know how much the rocket was. <laughs> yeah. They, they bought it. It just sounds parts. like they have money to I just know. do whatever the fuck. Well, you know it's History I mean? Channel. So, History Channel, come yeah. on. They probably put some bucks into it. Um, yeah. And then we got uh, Brandon Fugel, who's like the gazillionaire. So, he is throwing bucks left and right, whatever. Uh, I want the History Channel to give me rockets I, and money. I know, right? Hey, History, <laughs> hey. <laughs> So they're hoping that maybe they got some data before it crashed. So then they build the second rocket. They're going to go send the second rocket off. What they're going to have in the second rocket is a gamma ray detector. And what this does is it records an entire spectrum of radiation. So the spectrum starts at radio frequency, then it goes to infrared, then it goes to visible then it goes to ultraviolet and then gamma. Gamma is the last one. And that's what's like super, super dangerous to humans. And that's kind of what they've mm -hmm. been recording at some of these, you know, events that they've been, you know, where the radiation is getting all bananas and those right. are gamma rays. That's like, you know, you got to bone out, dude, get out of that because you don't want that's that radiation. Cancer yeah. Danger. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's like, your future children coming out with like two heads and you know stuff like that <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah you know if you, can, if you can have any after that uh, right right <laughs> so they can tell from this detector also that if the radiation is coming from the ground or coming from above so as the rocket goes up if it's coming from above then the meter is going to go it's going to increase because you're getting closer and closer mm -hmm. and closer to it Whereas if it's coming from the ground and it's going up, it's going to decrease because the rocket's getting farther and farther and farther. So this is like a really cool experiment. Like this little mm -hmm. rocket that they're building is going to be able to tell them exactly where this is. So they're getting ready to do launch to the second launch. And now they notice that the cows are like running in circles and Ooh. they're like, running into each other they're kind of fighting a little bit and then they ah. yeah they're like acting weird they're like doing all this strange stuff they're still in that same area but they're like doing all this weird shit they're getting and aggressive they're they're doing getting aggressive with each other they're doing donuts exactly <laughs> and they're just like <laughs> acting just no. like not like what cows you know it's like what what the fuck right yeah they're super then, chill man yeah yeah then they notice this round, shiny object in the sky. Okay, so they haven't they haven't launched the second one up yet, but now they see this thing and they're like, "What is that?" Like, there's and all of the guys are there. There's Travis and there's Tom. There's Jim Sagala. There is Dragon, um, the the little girl, uh, Caitlin, and then Eric. So they're all out there. They are all looking up at the sky and they're like, "What the fuck is that?" And literally, it, they're like, it's not a plane. 
what is that? That is totally crazy. So they're standing around, they're trying to find, you know, figure out what this is. And Travis is like, let's get the rocket up. Let's get the rocket up. Because if, if this is something up there that we need to like examine, we need to, you know, get up there and record while is this the is object happening. moving. It's kind of hovering, but then it's kind of moving like slow. Whereas if it's a plane, um, it, it couldn't get it could get to that, you know, from point A to point B in a much faster speed than what this thing is doing. It's so it's kind of like, hovering. Yeah. It's doing it's what it wants. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so they launch the second one and it goes perfect. It goes right where it needs to go. Uh, the, the, the chute pops open. It starts floating down to uh, earth. And uh, I forgot to mention before they did the launch, the, the object, shot off and disappeared okay so it's still not up there oh. when they do the second launch it was like maybe there for like 10 seconds and then and then it disappeared and then they did the launch okay. so now when this thing comes down with the shoot it worked everything everything's cool Travis, it travis travic travis is like super stoked he's ecstatic he's like well, we might have some real data while we saw a real UFO. UFO. Yeah. <laughs> he's all, that's our hero rocket. Like he's just like so ecstatic. And then they go to, to an interview with Dragon. They, so they cut to his interview and he's like, all the time that I've spent on this ranch, I've never really seen anything. But right now I actually saw what I consider to be a UFO. And he is just like in complete shock. He cannot believe what he just saw in the sky. I mean, imagine having that day. I yeah. Right. Saw a UFO today. I think I saw I a UFO today. Legit saw I know. UFO. Fuck, yeah. <laughs> a UFO. UFO. Then they go to an interview with Travis and he's heard he said, I've heard all the stories of Skinwalker Ranch. I thought it was someone's overactive imagination, but I never thought I'd see a UFO in person here. So even Travis is like, dang, like what the fuck, you know? So they walk out to the field to get the rocket and they can't, they just keep on talking about how they just can't believe that they're, what they saw. They're like, there was no sound. There was no chemtrail. It, it, it's something that's not what we know it, it could be. And so Travis thinks that they actually caused this to happen when they started doing the first launch. When they sent the first one up, he kind of thinks he's like, hey, maybe we like called it somehow, or maybe we did something to where they're like, hey, what are you doing? We're gonna come out and try and like, you know. We're gonna check you out. We're, we're gonna, gonna check, check out what the hell you're out. doing. Right, yeah. exactly. They're yeah. looking at the aliens and the aliens are looking <laughs> down at them, super <laughs> awkward. Right. You know what I mean? Like, who are these fools? <laughs> so they have equipment to build a third one they really don't need to but they're like hey for shits and giggles let's put another one up and see what happens and then you hear tom say hey it's back and they all run and they're looking up at the sky again and that same fucking round shiny object is back and it's just kind of like cruising around it's like not really moving it's so crazy are there any lights no, Are there's there no any light. Lights, it's, like it's in the light? daytime. No, it's in the daytime. So you just see this, this like so shiny thing. Fantastic. I love it. So it's so weird because off to the right, you see an actually you see an actual plane flying. And you can see the chemtrail and you can see the speed of what 
the, the plane is flying at. And it looks like it's kind of like following the plane, which is like so fucking scary if you think about it. Like, But you can oh see God. the difference you in can see what the, difference. A, the plane looks like and what yes. the UFO looks like. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's a great contrast to have. Oh my God, it's so crazy. And so then it starts to follow the plane and then it just kind of fades out and disappears. And they're like, it's gone, it's gone. But they're just like surprised again. They're like, oh my God, we saw it for a second time. And there was a plane there. Now we know it's not like what a plane is. They're just freaking out, right? So then all of a sudden, um, Eric's like the flight transponder. So they have that flight transponder command center where he can see where all the commercial flights are flying. He can see everything. Oh, so yeah. he, go, he goes in there and he checks it out. He can see the plane's flight plan, but there's nothing else. Nothing else. Mm-hmm. So I got what the fuck? Yeah, they're multiplying. The <laughs> I don't underwrite the song. <laughs> no, so Eric comes back out and he's telling them, and then all of a sudden, Dragon is like, "You guys, I'm like so nauseated all of a sudden." And you know they're wearing those special watches that Brandon got them, mm-hmm. and he's checking it. And his he's just been like kind of hanging out. He hasn't been really doing anything. His blood pressure is super high. His heart rate is super high and he's very nauseated and they start to freak out they're like well that's not normal you know let take it easy maybe this has something to do with what's going on but you know good thing that you said something to us so that if something Could it bad be from excitement happens, just like the excitement <laughs> of seeing it you, i'm being serious like i mean we well, sure react- it could be because he did say mm-hmm. yeah as long as i've been here i've never really seen anything he could be like freaking out like oh shit you know whatever yeah possibility 110 percent possibility mm-hmm. so they mm-hmm. do the third launch goes great all the guys are then go into the control room and they're going to review all the data so they're looking at video of the sky where they where they saw the ufo to see if they actually caught it on camera because you know the history channel's recording i guess they had a camera that was recording too and they can see it they caught it on, on camera perfectly Ooh. pops up super bright oh, in the middle of the screen mm-hmm. they, oh, no. they zoom into it as far as they could zoom into it right and it just looks like this like shiny i mean it's it's not clear it's bouncy but it's like you're like oh, what the I fuck is that, that right in this day and age everything's mm-hmm. super clear yeah. i expect it i expect it and it's traveling super slow and it's there for 10 seconds and it disappears so on top of all this is happening, they start looking at the data of the gamma ray detector that was in the rocket during this time. And they found that at the very highest point, so at that mild point that they needed to get to, there was so much energy above the ranch. Um, the gamma rays were absolutely like outrageous at that point. Wow. And they have no clue where that came from. Like there's it's not known to science like that's possible we're just randomly in the sky there's these like high gamma rays so can that cause uh nausea it, it can you know? but the like the gamma rays are like the highest most dangerous radiation that you could receive but this was at that mile point so i don't know if that could affect them down there or not at that point mm-hmm. so dragon's like we gotta call brandon and let him know what the fuck is going on because this is fucking bananas so they call brandon and uh brandon asks um if 
could this have been a satellite? You know, he's trying to like, you know, recognize all different aspects before he immediately goes into mm-hmm. it's you a have to look at all options. So. And Travis is like, no way, because it's not following any orbital motion at all. So whatever that means in Travis scientific talk. And then Brandon is curious that maybe it's reacting to all the experiments that they just did. And that's exactly what Travis said too. So they're all kind of like on the same page. They're like, dude, we might've called these things to come and say, hey, what's up? What are you doing? I'm super mm-hmm. pissed. I have been calling for a UFO. I know. I hear Dang, I know. Rude. So then they go to an interview with Brandon and he's like, you know, as a kid, I never had any experiences with UFOs, paranormal, nothing until I came to Skinwalker Ranch. He said two years ago, mid daylight, he saw a UFO above the Mesa. It was a 40 to 50 foot saucer uh, aircraft, like a disc-like aircraft. And it just moved in a blink of an eye and then it was gone. And they somehow they have pictures of it so that you can see, I'll put that too uh, on this, on the, on social media where you can see Mm -hmm. this disc like shiny thing, like flying over the Mesa. That's so cool. So that's where episode four ends. So I was continuing on with episode four and now episode five is is starting. And this one is called dangerous curves. So that's all about me. Episodes about Reddit. (laughs) Yeah. I've heard that a couple times, honey. The curse that they're going to talk about is going to give you freaking heebie jeebies, man. Because it's getting, it's getting, I can't handle any more heebie jeebies. I'm freezing. I am freezing right now. If you give me heebie jeebies, I'll explode. Uh, Just, (laughs) just wait. Okay. So (laughs) there's an RV and a Jeep parked out. you know, parked outside of the property and a dog starts to bark. So it's nighttime. You see the RV, you see a truck and all of a sudden a dog starts barking. And this is how you're like, you're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, where's his RV? Why is there a dog barking? And then you hear (laughs) Travis go, God dang it, William. What are you barking at yet? (laughs) So... Uh, I guess Travis, can you dig it? <laughs> no, not not can you. Oh, are you saying? Dang oh, it. can you dig it on your own? I thought yeah. you were saying when I said, "God dang it, God dang it." Okay, so <laughs> then Travis, uh, you know, turns the light on. He has his little GoPro, so he's like, you know, I'm sleeping, and then all of a sudden, it's like four four fifty one a.m. William just woke me up. He's barking, you know, and he took off running across the field, and he's putting on his, his shoes, his clothes, whatever. He's like, I got to go see what's happening out there. So then they go to an interview with Travis and he's like, for the past few days, I've been staying on the ranch so I can capture things as they happen. Then he goes outside and he hears something screeching. So he goes back into the RV and he looks at his laptop to see like what all his meters and stuff are catching. And I guess he's looking at like the sound waves because he's hearing this weird screeching sound off into the distance. And he can see this weird like reading going on on his meter and he says it's like turning on a radio putting all the stations at one time and they're all playing the same song at one time that's what the level is at where the sound is coming from and he's like I have no no clue what the hell this is I've, I've never seen anything 
like that before. So it's do like, they have any other animals there besides the cows? Uh, no, no, but they're out in the wild. So it could be like anything, mm-hmm. but I don't know what could be out there that would be, scre- I mean, an owl maybe, but an I owl mean, wouldn't be like making the, the radio waves all bananas like that. So maybe it was a Sasquatch <laughs> stepping on a Lego. Oh, that's possible. That's possible. Figure it out. Okay. You're welcome. Yep. Aliens, Red. Come on. Yeah. Aliens. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so the next morning, they all meet at command center, and Travis stands up and he goes over to like a chalkboard, right? And he spins it around all dramatic and he says, uh, This is what I think it is. And there's all these weird figures on it, there's all these numbers. And he's like, what if it's a wormhole? And what? you should see Dragon's face. He's like, uh, okay. So he's drawn <laughs> this what was weird, that? Okay. like, oh my God, you got to see that part. Cause Dragon's like, what the fuck now? Like, come on, dude. So <laughs> Did you say a wormhole? <laughs> he draws this weird thing. It's like a, it's like, okay, it's, you know, it's say it's 70 miles across and it's coming from the bottom. He's like, he draws this huge thing and he's trying to explain it all. And Travis is like, maybe, uh, maybe it's here. And then it's, you know, it starts here. Then it goes above and he's like trying to explain it all. And Jim, you know, Jim is the, Jim Sagala. He's the scientist. He's like, um, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I'm like, good Lord, good Lord. Now we have two guys That's saying boring. that it's a wormhole. <laughs> So he says a wormhole hasn't been proven. This is Travis saying, but it was a theory of Einstein. So Einstein is the one that thought of this wormhole theory to this day. It still has not been um, proven, but what, I think it, I what it is- it like on an acid trip once. <laughs> I figured it out. Yeah, basically what it is, is like if you have layers of like dimensions, a wormhole is something that you can travel in between the layers. So that's basically well, I mean, what, what a, a wormhole is. Well, they're saying that pilots, you know, have gone through wormholes over, right, Bermuda Triangle and crazy, right. crazy places mm-hmm. like that, right. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So then they go to an interview with Brandon and he says, before I took ownership of Skinwalker Ranch, it was cautioned by the Bigelows that we're dealing with forces that are very powerful and are not easily understood or characterized. One amazing story, not only by the Bigelows team, but others are portals that have been seen by many in Homestead 2. Now, Homestead 2 is where the run down little old houses are where there's a lot of shit that happens and it's right below the mesa right there. So what people have claimed is that a portal appears in midair like a window and you can look into another world, okay? There's a different type of skyline that what's normal to us. There's other landscapes that don't look normal and they see that those portals um, and, and what they see in the portals, it's like very, very hard for them to describe. So they look in in a way where we can't use our like English language to describe what they're seeing. And this has happened many, many, many times. So then they go back to the table and uh, Dragon of course goes, do you know 
how how <laughs> outlandish this sounds because dragon's like fuck he wanted to dig and now he's saying we're for you know we have fucking wormholes and then travis like yeah i agree it's crazy and it's nuts but it's the only hypothesis that makes sense with everything that's been happening but a hypothesis is not worth anything unless you can create an experiment to test it so yes. that's what we need to figure out uh, so maybe with ground penetrating radar and other measurements in the earth, we can possibly do this type of experiment. So you guys, this is getting, this is the bananas part, you guys, this is so crazy. So days later, they have a team come onto the property. The guy, uh, Philip Oviat, he's a GPR expert, which is ground penetrating radar. And basically radar bounces stuff off of whatever might be buried in the in you know the the ground mm -hmm. and then he has a, a a partner with him named zachary zyla and he's a resisting export i guess what resisting is is they it's almost like the same thing as radar but they use like electrical currents so they run these wires run electricity down these poles in the ground and if it's going to hit something it's it's going to come back and they can figure that out so they're going to do these two types of testings they're going to do the resisting and then they're going to do the radar, the GPR. So they decide they're going to go to two separate parts of the ranch and they're going to, and they split up in teams and they go out and they do this. So they take all their equipment out, they split into the teams, Philip, the GPR guy, starts um, his machine. So he's sitting there, he's ready to start his machine and it won't start. He just pulled it out of the truck. It's all charged and ready to go. He pulls it out dead battery and what's like bummer um, man wah, he's like wah. um what the fuck he's like so shocked <laughs> because this has never happened to, to him before and then they go get this other little um so they can't use that they need to charge that so he pulls out this other little thing and when they turn that on it's in the yellow and he's never used it to the point where it's gone in the yellow so he's actually never seen the yellow come up on his screen before <laughs> so caleb walks up and caleb is our our muscly ginger that comes out you know he's security with mm -hmm. dragon he's like you guys look at my phone so he he's showing them his phone and his phone is like it's like on the keypad where you dial and it's just like going and there's like all these numbers just going across like a ticker oh it's like what and it's just going over and over and over and over and over again did he try putting it in rice yeah he said okay it accessed my it accessed my um my contacts and tried to dial a couple people and then it's going into like my photos and then it's going, it's what? like just hopping from app to app and doing all this weird uh, stuff. I don't want anything in my phone looking at my shit. What mm -hmm. the fuck you guys? And then they're like, how long has this been happening? And he's like, for like, like 10 minutes now. And they're like, dude, <gasps> what the hell's going on? So they decide, edit. <laughs> yeah, edit, edit. so they decide that they're going to uh, put that little machine on the back of their little um, UTV or their Rhino, whatever they have, and they're just going to drag it along the ground. It's made to drag, but it's kind of weird how it's dragging. Weird. And um, they're just going to run it until it dies out. They're going to just use what they got, try and get the readings that they want to get out there and um, do it. So as they're doing that, 
the other team is out there. They're running all the electricity lines and setting all that up. It's really weird. They have to like put these stakes with a hammer in the ground and then wrap it with all these. It looked way too tedious. Like I wouldn't want to be that that dude. Hmm. So they then they go back to Dragon, um, Dragon, and then Eric and Philip are there too. And Dragon's in the back seat, and Eric's driving, and then the 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 other dude's sitting in the passenger seat, and they're they're looking as they drive. They're looking at like this little TV screen, and it's giving them like uh like red little like pixelated like pictures of if they can see if it's hitting hitting something. And as they get to Homestead 2, this weird dome-shaped thing pops up on the screen. It's just all blank. And then all of a sudden you can see it's hitting this round arc looking thing. And he's in, like- In the ground? I just in the ground, sure under the ground. Okay. The radar is going down mm -hmm. into the ground and it's picking mm -hmm. up this like, it's hitting oh. this dome-like dome, this dome -like thing, right? And he's like, uh, mm -hmm. Philip, what could that be? And he's like, I, I have no idea. I've, I've never seen this. I mean, it could be some type of metal that's buried, but it's so perfectly brown. It's not like it's like, or, or like, you know, like gold or silver or. Is metal. that a, a UFO? It could mm. be a UFO. Maybe. So they're like, okay, let's turn around. Let's go back over and see if we get the same reading. So they flip a bitch, they turn around and right at that same spot, you guys, they're getting the same, but now they're seeing multiple domes and they get like maybe four on the top and then, or like three on the top and then four on the bottom and then like two on the, on the very, very bottom. So it's just these multiple like arcs up and down, like in this weird. Point. Okay. And then, uh, so then they go to an interview with Eric and he's like, we're seeing these various multi-layered structures and and it's anywhere from like eight to 24 feet down. So the closest is eight feet down. Eight feet down is not that far, you guys, if you think about it. You know I, I know, mean? Yeah, I, mean, I had to bury a body once, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and you dug all the way to eight feet? You know, I was trying to burn calories, okay. Okay. you know. All right. All right. <laughs> And then Philip's like, you know, it looks kind of weird because it looks like it might be a tunnel because it has a, a top and a bottom with an empty center. So he says he, it could be some type of tunnel. So interesting. He says it's smooth, mm -hmm. but it goes almost like, you know, uh, you know, like there's a top and there's a bottom and then it pinches at the ends. Is it a wormhole? <laughs> And that's where I'm going to end this one. Oh. <laughs> but you didn't answer me. Is it a wormhole? Yes, no. I know. Not a wormhole. Like, wormholes, <laughs> I think, happen out of like plain air. Like it just like pops up mm -hmm. like a portal. Yes. Pops up. This is that something is that's correct. obviously buried in the ground with arc yeah. shapes. Interesting. What? Where all the okay, shit goes down. It. Right in front of Homestead 2. Right in front of the mesa, there's something there. What's there? I never ever. Oh, there's something there. Damn, I'm great the fuck out. Good job. It's getting good, you guys. It's getting good. It is. I've kind of like seen the rest of episode five, so I know what's what's coming. But you guys, oh my god, it's getting so good. And where where can people watch this on their own if they wanted to? 
it's on Skinwalker. the History Channel. It's called The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch. It's 10 episodes. Um, I actually saw it a couple weekends ago. They played the whole thing on History Channel for free. Oh, but how I, fun. But I, I bought it on it. Amazon for like 20 bucks, the whole episode, the whole uh, season. Okay. okay. Cool. History Channel for the win. All right. Are y'all ready for the Bad story of the week. Give it, give it. All right. So, when was the last time you guys received a letter from someone you loved? Oh, is this a way for you to make me really fucking sad? I don't know. <laughs> I guess. No. I guess it I doesn't feel happen. Bad now, Dre. Yeah, it doesn't Look, happen. I haven't very one either. Yeah. Uh. Uh. Mm. You know Those what? Days if are I'm over, honest, guys. I don't send letters. How about that? Right? Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't think I get we, any Christmas of us do. cards. Mm-hmm. Well, stamps letters are, are 50 like... cents now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Who's going to afford that shit? Come it's on. It's so much yeah. money. We I haven't sent an email letter. for free. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or a text message yeah. or call someone. Yeah. Yes. Right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. It's been a long time. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. Um, we have Brandon Wolf, who is an English is an English professor in New York. He lives in Brooklyn. Uh, he is a performance artist as well. So during this pandemic, he decided that he wanted to bring back this letter writing tradition. And how do you do that? Well, he sat himself down outside next to a mailbox with a typewriter. Oh, and he I basically everything just about this scene. Do yep. it, Brandon. <laughs> Do it, Brandon. <laughs> and he he wrote like on there, you know, um, letters for for like your friends who who might be sad or who might be blue, right? So he's like promoting this free service. He's sitting there just typing away whatever anybody says, and stick. He's got letter. Uh, he's writing the letter with the typewriter. He's got the envelopes. He's got the stamps. He's sitting right next to a post office box. How, how much more perfect could that be? I need right? a typewriter. What, uh, what a sweetheart. And it's like an antique, vintage typewriter. Well, so it has special, it. though. Love yeah. it. I mean, <laughs> are I there any other kinds? Hello. <laughs> Isn't it so sweet? So he, he's been sitting out there um, recently, and he's now typed out 50 letters for people's loved ones. Aww. And they're able to send that out. It's just such a special, like, kind of a, a lost art that that he's provided it is. it is a lost art dre i mean when mm-hmm. you read letters between people who are married during war times right yes. to take the time to say all the beautiful thoughtful things that we used to say to each other right we don't mm-hmm. do that i you know we text no. each other what up ho it's very uh-huh. different now yeah uh-huh. you know what i mean yeah yeah a letter's fantastic yes oh so- my gosh Hats off to you, Brandon Wolf. My goodness. I, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, challenge us all to just like yeah. sit down and write a letter to somebody. I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Sit I'm going to do it. Okay. Do I it. will write a letter to somebody tomorrow. Will you guys do that too? Yeah. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Totally. Yes. You guys have to promise and we will discuss. Okay. Okay. And we got to take a picture like, of it. We got to take a picture of it with the stamp and the address. I and mean, that, yes. We have to have <laughs> okay. proof. Yeah, I don't trust it. you, beaches. I don't trust you either, okay. girl. You know, I <laughs> I kind of feel bad now because one of our one of our friends um, has a daughter who was like, "Hey, does Aurora want to do a 
a sticker exchange with my daughter and I was like yeah sign us up and so they sent us this letter and Aurora read it she's like I'm not doing that and I'm like mama come on let's go let's play <laughs> and <laughs> she was like what I mean oh it's her gosh. first time but I'm gonna force her to do it now and it's just one of those like chain things you know like yeah. hi this is me I'm gonna send this letter to six friends and you can send us you know send stamps to the number one in line and then I send a letter to stuff yeah like when but we how, were kids, we did stuff like that. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How much fun was that to get something in the mail, right? From somebody. Yeah. That wasn't a bill collector. Fun. Like when you were right. a kid and you got a letter, this has my name on this letter. It's for <laughs> yep, me. Yep. Holy mm-hmm. shit. Oh my gosh. Right? Right? Those were the <laughs> yeah. days when going to check the mail was fun. Now I'm just yes. like, yes. I go check the mail. Uh Oh, I, I hate oh. checking the mail. Such a <laughs> bummer, man. Let's just stop. I think, yeah, I know, right? I think half of it, most of it's like trash, right? I'm like, oh, recycle bin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this is such a good badass story, and it's inspired us, Brandon. We are gonna write a letter to somebody tomorrow, uh, take pictures because we obviously don't yeah. trust each other, and then we will discuss <laughs> on our next episode. Cool. So I think we should also challenge anyone that listens to the podcast, mm-hmm. all of our, our hand covers, to write a letter and then share with us who they yeah. wrote and what it was about. And did they get a letter back? Right? That's yes. what I, I would love That's to hear. That's so exciting. That'd be um, I think this is such a fantastic idea. So everyone can check out Handcuffs and Sage at Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok. Uh, you can always, always email us at handcuffsandsage at gmail.com. We have a website, handcuffsandsagepodcast.com. We have a Patreon page that gives you the ability to uh, get some fun swag, things from us, stickers, you know, other things like that when you help support your favorite gals. Uh, you know, we put a lot of love and effort and time to the podcast. And it's always so nice when someone takes the time to leave us a review on iTunes. It's always exciting to see. We love that. Uh, can you guys think of anything else? Did I, did I hit I think everything? Covered it. Did oh, I yeah. do it? Yeah. Oh, hit it, baby. yeah. All right. Here we go. And remember, we, we do, do what, what we want. want. Woo! <laughs> We're so professional. So <laughs> all the time. All the time. All the time. <laughs> Thanks, Zoom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, 2020. Yeah, all right. Sure. <laughs> okay. Have a good night, ya. y'all. Bye. 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 Love you. Bye. Bye. Handcuffs and Sage is hosted by Red, Timo, and Dre in a shitty guest room in Los Angeles. Theme music is Leave Now by We Are Wasted. Cover art done by Megan Winchester. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Show some love on iTunes. Be a badass and do what you want. Until next time. <laughs>